my first time giving a message or preaching anywhere, so it's really exciting. Yeah, my name is Mekong Kiriev. Um, um, I'm 18 years old and I live out on the Key Peninsula. Um, I'm David Shokradov's brother. And yeah, so today we're on in Mark 2, 13 through 17. And I'm just going to give a quick background on the message. And then we're going to read the whole thing and then I'm going to dissect it after that. So, so last week or the, the week before that, I don't know when you guys went through it. You guys went through Mark 2, 1 through 13. And Mark 2, 1 through 13 is about what Jesus came to do on the earth. And it says in verse 10, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So Jesus came down to the earth to forgive sin. That's what the first part of Mark 2 is about. Mark 2, chapter, or Mark chapter 2, verse 13, is about who he came for, or whose sins he came to forgive. So we're going to dive into that, and the main direction I want to go in for this message is just to talk about the love of Jesus and the gospel. Because I, I believe that the more and more we peel out, peel away the layers of Jesus' love and the cross and what that means, the more we learn about God's love, the more we come, the more we become undone by it. The more we grab onto Jesus' love and learn more about it, the less and less the grip of the world, the, there, there's less and less of the grip of the world on us. So the more we cling to Jesus, the less we'll cling to the earth or the world. So, so some, just some background on the passage here. Uh, the relationship between the Jews and the Rome, Romans. So in 63 BC, Rome conquers Judea, Judea, and the Jews lose their independence. Everything in Judea is controlled by Rome, and Rome has dominion over the Jews. Even the Jewish rulers were appointed and controlled by Rome. So pretty much, Rome conquers Judea, and they control Jews, they control all the land, they tax the Jews, and the Jews are heavily, heavily oppressed by the Romans. So the Jews were, heavy, were um, long awaiting a military messiah that would come and restore Judah, conquer the Romans, and make their nation great again. So there was, just, there was some tension between the Rome, Romans and the, Jew, and the Jews, and they were awaiting someone to free them from that. So we'll move on to the passage here, Mark chapter 2, verse 13. I'm just going to read all the way through, and then we'll go individually. So, uh, verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So we're just going to jump into verse 13, and I'm going to give commentary on each verse. So verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, 
and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. So verse 13 takes place directly after verse 12. And verse 12, he's in a, someone's house, and he heals the paralytic, and it's getting super crowded. They have to like lower the paralytic through the roof. So it's super crowded, so Jesus wants to reach more people. He wants more people to be able to hear him, so he goes out to the seashore. And on the way, verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So I want to jump into just who were the tax collectors and what was their social stigma, how were they viewed in the time and all that. So to become a tax collector back then, you would pretty much have to sell your soul to the Roman government. You would have to, you, your job was to tax people and make money for Rome while you got to keep an extra cut or you got to keep the extra money. So it was like a money, it was like a gold mine. You made a ton of money and you were rich and you lived luxurious, but there, there was a catch. You had to deny your heritage. You had to sell out your own people. Tax collectors had to deny their Jewish heritage and tax the, their, their own people. So like, like I said earlier, there's, some, there's tension between the Jews and the Romans. That they already hate each other. So imagine you're a tax collector. Not, you're not just a Roman tax collector, you're a Jewish tax collector. Tax collectors are already hated. Imagine you're a Jewish one, you're betraying your own people. You'd need a lot of money to become a tax collector. It, would be, it was like a bidding system. You would bid and the highest bidder would win a tax collecting booth or a license. And there were two types of tax collectors. One of them was called the Gabbai and another the Makis. So the Gabbai, they collected property income and poll tax. And they, they taxed based off assessments. So they would come, they would assess your building, they would assess your income, and then tax you accordingly. It was all through a system, you know, not too bad. But then there was the Makis. These guys, they, they, they taxed pretty much everything else. A lot of stuff on imports they taxed, all like trading goods and all that, they would tax. But, ta but Makis, they taxed based on their own discretion. They taxed pretty much whatever they wanted to do, and they had the authority to. They wanted to tax how many tomatoes are in your bucket, they would tax that. They would tax how many legs your donkey had, they would tax, tax all this different stuff. And they would have these Roman bullies and soldiers to do it for them and bully people into pain. So there's these two different types. And tax collectors were the most hated people by the Jews in that time. They bullied and extorted people into paying their taxes. And yeah, they were, they were outcasts and despised by all. Which leads me to my first point. It's, it's titled, The Scandal of Grace. So when you hear the word scandal, you, you don't think that should be in the same sentence as grace. But I'm gonna explain to you why our Lord's grace is scandalous by nature. In verse 14, who did Jesus call out out of all the people in that area? Who, who's the one he called out? The Jewish tax collector. So I'm going I'm to give you the definition of scandal here. It's a circumstance or action that offends established standards or morals of a community and disgraces those associated with it. So it's, it's an action or, yeah, it's an action that offends established standards. And the established standards back then, in that time, was to hate sinners, disassociate with sinners, 
and be apart from them. That, those were the established standards back then, and especially to tax collectors. Relig religious leaders taught that in order to stay righteous, you had to separate yourself from sinners, diseased, possessed, or dead people, or you'd be, become unclean. If you even touch these people, talk to them, you'd become unclean. Not only did you have to uphold the, the law, but you had to, you had to be separated from these type of people. But what did Jesus came to do? What did Jesus come to do? Jesus came and he forgave the sinners. He healed the sick and he raised the dead. It's a huge cultural shock. That's why Jesus was so controversial. He just went and broke the standards. He did exactly the opposite of the norms. And that's why he was so hated by the Pharisees. His grace is so unmerited and so unearned. That's why it's scandalous. That he dies for a people that don't deserve it. That's why it's scandalous. That he calls out Matthew the tax collector out of everyone in that place. That's so scandalous. But it's a scandal for us. We're on the receiving end of it. It's for us. A perfect God loves an imperfect people. Jesus, the Son of God, because of the sin of humanity, became sin and willingly died on the cross to redeem us. The most hated and disgraced man, Matthew, is the person Jesus called out and forgave. That is the love of our Father. That's just one dimension of God's grace and mercy. And this whole message tonight is just going to be focused on the love of God. And you may think that you know the love of God, like, yeah, Jesus died for us, cool. I accepted him, cool. Let's. Let's go to some fun topics like abortion or uh, marriage, I don't know, all this different stuff. But we need to focus on the love of God. We need to hold it close to our heart because it's the key to everything. You will grow so much spiritually if you focus on Jesus. If you, if you focus on learning more about him and his love. Jesus is the key to everything. You'd be fine off just reading the, the five gospels over and over, you'd grow so much. You could only read those five, and you'd grow so much. So that is why it's a scandal. Which brings me to my second point on verse 14. Jesus accepts us just as we are, and takes us to new spiritual heights. Unlike the Pharisees, Jesus doesn't set a bar that you must reach before you are accepted by him. He called Matthew just as he was. He came, saw him sitting at his tax booth and said, Matthew, follow me. He didn't say, Matthew, get your stuff together, then come find me. He didn't bring Matthew a test on the religious laws and say, Matthew, pass this, and then you can, you can join my group. No. He says, come as you are. Bring me your sin. Bring me your problems. Bring me all of you, and I will do the rest of the work. That's our God. Jesus was so irresistible to Matthew. He, he got up instantly and left everything. You guys know why? It's because of God's kindness. You see, without Jesus, we would have never recognized our sin. Without God and the law, we would never recognize our sin. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We, we don't know about our sin without Jesus. God opens our eyes to our sin. Yet knowing all our sin, in his kindness and in his love, he still calls us out. 
And it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. Jesus accepts us just as we are and takes us to new spiritual heights. If you're out here today and you're here with all your baggage and all your sin and you think you're too far bound for God, think you've messed up too bad this time, come as you are to His throne. Don't, make, don't put Jesus' love in a box. Don't put boundaries on His love. There's no boundaries on His love. He says, come as you are. He can heal any sickness. He can heal any disease. You saying your sin is too bad for Him, that's making Him small. That's making Jesus small. Believe in His power to redeem you. Believe in His power to save. Believe in His power to overcome any of your problems. Don't put His love in a box. Come just as you are, boldly to His throne, and believe that He can work through you, because He can. If He can call Matthew, the worst man in the city, then He can call you, and He can change you. We shouldn't put God's love in a box. This is a word from a pastor named David Guzik. Just a few sentences. Jesus is the perfect doctor to heal us of our sin. He is always available. He always makes the perfect diagnosis. He provides a complete cure, and he even pays the doctor's fee. Guys, he sees you exactly where you are today, tonight. He knows exactly what you're struggling with, and he knows exactly how to cure you. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is come to him and give him your heart. God knew our greatest need before we did. He sent his son to die, and we didn't even ask for it. What a love. Just, just dwell on that. We didn't even ask for a Savior, yet God sent one for us on our behalf. Ephesians 2, 1-6 And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. While we were dead, we didn't know what was good for us. While we were serving Satan, while we were serving the world, Jesus died for us. Think about that. We didn't earn it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Bring your weaknesses to God tonight and let Him show His strength in your life. Boast in your weaknesses. Because when you're weak, then you get to experience God's love and His grace in your life. Bring it confidently to the throne of grace and give it over to Him. Come as you are tonight. Don't bring your intentions. Don't bring your your thoughts, don't bring your bag or bring your baggage. And give it all to him. 
We'll move on to verse 15 here. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Point three, we need to live all out for Jesus. Matthew wasn't chosen because of what he could do. He was chosen because of what, of what he was willing to give up. He was willing to give up everything. That's why he was chosen. This is evident in Luke 5.27 um, from Luke's perspective of this story of the calling out of Matthew. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the booth. This is Luke 5.27. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So Luke adds that he left everything. And this is important. He, he forsook everything he had. Guys, he was a rich tax collector. He, he was living in luxury. He was living, and he had so much money. He had Roman protection. He had all this stuff. But he left everything in a heartbeat and chose to follow Jesus Christ. Leaving your job as a fisherman like Peter, James, and, and John wasn't the same as leaving the tax collecting business. You see, when you left your tax collecting business, someone was always waiting to swoop in because it was a gold mine, you'd become rich. So if you left, they, your spot would get taken instantly. When called out by Jesus, Matthew without a thought forsook his job, left everything behind and walked all out for Jesus. There was no going back for Matthew, but he didn't care. Because for once in his life, because for once in his life, Matthew was loved despite his weaknesses. Most hated man in the place. No way out. No way of forgiveness. For once he was loved. And he was called out. Despite all his junk. No more job. No more money. No more Roman protection. No more comfort. Consumed by the love of Jesus, Matthew denied himself. And gained eternal glory. He gave up all these worldly passions. He gave up all these worldly idols. He gave it all up and he gained eternal glory. I'm sure Matthew knew what he was getting himself into. He had to have known who Jesus was at that time. He was super controversial. I'm sure there was a lot of talk about him and his teachings. And he had to have known the Pharisees' opinion about Jesus. Pharisees hated him. They, they said, if, if anyone followed Jesus' teachings, if anyone proclaimed Jesus, they weren't allowed in the temple anymore. They were kicked out. It says in John 9.22, the, Jew, the Jews had agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, they were to be put out of the synagogue. And when Jesus and his disciples walked by Matthew's booth, I'm sure he noticed that they were wearing old clothes, dirty clothes, and they were all a rugged group of guys. And I'm sure he smelled... The, the smell of fish off Peter, I mean, yeah, Peter and John. I'm sure he smelled the fish and he looked at his life of luxury. But that, but the love of Jesus convinced him to leave all that behind. And I encourage you guys, what are the things in your life that you have not yet surrendered to Jesus? What has been keeping you from living all out for Jesus? Matthew gave up everything. Because he knew. He knew that following Jesus. And he knew that the life with Jesus 
was way more fulfilling, had held way more eternal glory, not just temporary pleasure. Matthew knew that. So what are you still holding on to that's keeping you from living all out? Is it your comfort? Do you not want to drive out and meet people and, and evangelize? Is it, is it money? Is it your job? Is it what's holding you back from living all out for Jesus? And when you look at verse 15, as he reclined at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. In Luke 5.29, from Luke's perspective, it says, Levi made him a great feast in his house. So this was Levi's party. He threw a big party, and he threw a big feast for all his friends and Jesus. And as a tax collector, the only friends you would have would be other tax collectors and criminals. No one likes you. Like, no one would like you. You weren't allowed to go into the temple. You weren't. It was, it was righteous to lie to tax collectors. It was taught that it was good to lie to them. So you really had no friends but other criminals and tax collectors. But you can really see Matthew's wholehearted devotion when he throws a great feast and invites all of his sinful friends. It's evident that Matthew is truly serious about his relationship with Jesus when he's even willing to devote his friendships Jesus. He could have kept that life, he could have kept that part of his life private and followed Jesus, but on the side he had these friends he would indulge in the world with, and then you know he would follow Jesus but have these friends. And God, you can have 20, you can have 80%, but I'm gonna keep this little part of my life. But now he took radical action and gave up all of his life. He even brought his friends into this. He brought all his friends. He he was so undone by God's love that he brought all his friends. He's like, Come meet Jesus. Come meet this Messiah. Come meet him. He invited all his sinful friends to come meet the Savior. This wholehearted devotion to God is what we should strive for. We need to give Jesus all of us, not parts of us. God doesn't want an 80 to 20% ratio. He doesn't want just 99% of your life. He wants all of it. No more living with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Give him your whole life, and you'll never regret it. I've never heard of a Christian who regretted giving their whole life to Jesus. It may not sound as good to the world living all out for Jesus. You may have to lose some friends. You may have to deny your pleasures. You may have to give up a job. But compared, when you look in the spiritual, spiritual realm, there is nothing more satisfying and joyful than living all out for Jesus. There's nothing more. So I encourage you, give Jesus all your heart. Give him all your life. Ask yourself and ask God to reveal the parts of your life that need to be surrendered to him. Maybe you come to Thrive on Thursdays and, and Sunday you go to church, but then the rest of the week you're just like the world. God wants every day of the week, not just two. He wants your friendships. He wants your relationships. He wants, he wants everything devoted to him. And rightfully so. Because he saved us from eternal hell. He gave his life for us when we didn't ask for it. When we least deserved it. Give him all your heart tonight. Ask him to reveal those parts. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Giving your whole body and your whole life to God is great worship to Him. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Mark 12, 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Everything. Guys, all or nothing. Choose it. 100% for Jesus or zero. He doesn't want in between. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Whoever, whoever saves his life will lose it. Whatever you cling to, if you're trying to just preserve yourself and you're not living all out for God, you're going to lose your life. You need to deny yourself. Take off your cross. It's not going to be easy. Jesus didn't promise easiness. But he promised eternal glory in return. Don't try and save your life. Don't, don't hold back parts of yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Really, like, what will it profit you if you gain all the pleasures on this world and you have the best life on this, this world and you gain everything you ever wanted, but you end up losing your soul and you end up suffering eternally in hell? Do you want this to be your hell? Do you want earth to be your hell? For Christians, the only hell we'll experience is now in this earth. And our heaven is yet to come. For sinners, for people who don't want to follow Jesus, their heaven is now. This is the best they'll ever experience. Their heaven is now. This is our hell. This is the worst we'll ever experience. Now choose. A life with Jesus will provide everlasting joy. You'll never, ever feel anywhere else. And I promise you that. We need to deny ourselves of our pleasures, our intentions, our motives and desires. And we need to be willing to suffer for Christ. We need to suffer for Christ. We may have to lose friends, and we may lose parts of us, but the reward is so much greater. You gain eternal life in return. Philippians 3, 8 through 9. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Everything is a loss compared to knowing Christ. That's the mindset we need to have. Everything in this world is nothing compared to Christ. Count them as rubbish. Matthew preached the gospel in parts of modern day Africa and died a martyr's death for the kingdom of God. How inspiring is that? He gave up everything to follow Jesus. He even gave up his own life for Jesus because he knew what was more important. He knew what was better. 
How much more inspiring is Jesus' death on the cross for his sinful people? Jesus, sinless, seated with God in heaven, went to earth, became sin, and took the full wrath of God so that we could become sinless. We need to live all out for Jesus. All right, let's move on to verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Which brings me to my last point. We need to recognize and constantly remember that we are in total depravity without Jesus, meaning we are nothing without Jesus. We need to remember this, or we can get prideful, and we can lose sight of God, and we can please our own flesh. Jesus didn't come to call the self-righteous, he came to call sinners. What are we being ourselves as tonight? Did you come in here? I go to Thrive, I've been going to Thrive for the past 10 years. I'm pretty holy. I've been tithing a lot. I've been, I've been doing this. Are you being yourself as healthy or sick? Because God only came, Jesus only came to heal the sick. He only came for the sick. And only the sick need the doctor. Here are some stories from the Bible about people who thought they were healthy. There's a story of Simon the Magician missing out on the kingdom of God because he thought he could earn the gifts of God through money. He thought he could buy salvation. He thought he could buy the gifts of God. He had the self-puffed up view of himself that he could somehow earn it. And he was rebuked and he missed out on the kingdom because he thought he had something to offer God. And then there's the parable in Luke 18, 9 through 14, of the tax collector and the Pharisee praying in the temple. Luke 18, 9, he, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Our heart needs to be like the tax collectors in this story. Are we coming with our resume to God? Are we coming with our accomplishments and we're just bragging to God? Are we treating other people with contempt? Are we being condescending because we think we're above them? And it's super easy to slip into this. When, when we forget that we're in total depravity without God, we think that we can do life on our own. And it's super easy to become prideful. And often God has to humble us. So let's keep humble. So God doesn't have to end up humbling us in a tragic way. 
You need to see Jesus as the source of your righteousness, not yourself. Is your, does your righteousness come from the amount of good deeds you do, the amount of times you go to church, or does your righteousness come from Jesus' blood? These might be simple questions that, oh, yeah, obviously, but when you ask yourself, when you take a look at your life, what do you see? Pray that God would reveal if you're following Him wholeheartedly, if you're leaning on Jesus' righteousness and not your own. You have to choose self-righteousness or God's righteousness. God's righteousness leads to life and humility. We are all Matthew the tax collector. We are all sick with sin and we have all betrayed God. We are all nothing without Jesus. But God loves to make something out of nothing. He takes pleasure in exalting the humble and lowly because he gets all the glory. Why do you think all why do you think all the disciples come from poor backgrounds and bad jobs and unimportant places? So God can lift them up, God can exalt them, God's strength can be seen in them, and He can get all the glory. So when we put our hearts in a place of humility and total dependence on God, and a heart that says, I'm nothing without you, God. If we're that tax collector in the temple who won't even look up, because we know we're nothing without Christ. If that's our attitude, then God will exalt us. If you exalt yourself, you'll be humble. If you humble yourself, God will be exalted. Or you will be exalted by God. Think about it. Jesus was humble and obedient to the point of death on a cross. He humbled himself to the point of death. A king in heaven. He had an amazing throne at the right hand of God. And he came down to earth as a lowly carpenter to get spit on and murdered by us. Humbled himself to death. And look where he is now. Seated at the right hand of God. That's where Jesus is. Because he was obedient and he gave his whole life. Even he died for God's will. And he's at the right hand of God right now. So if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. God's strength will be made perfect in you. If you're here tonight feeling weak, insufficient, too far gone, then rejoice. Because you are the perfect canvas for God to demonstrate His power on. God loves to make something out of nothing. He loves to make the weak strong. And it's all throughout the Bible. Every major character always comes from somewhere of a low point. King David, shepherd boy, lowest of the family. Yeah, there, there's so many more. There's, uh, yeah, all the disciples come from unimportant jobs, fishermen, tax collectors, sinners. They never come from a royal line. They never come from important, proud cities and all that. So I encourage you guys. Live in humility. That should be your outlook on life, is I am nothing without Jesus. But you should be overjoyed that Jesus is your strength. Imagine we had to go through life figuring out all on our own. Aren't you guys glad that you can give it to your Savior? Like I made the, if, 
If I was in control of my life, it would be a train wreck right now. I know there's so many decisions you guys can think of that if you had your way, it would not be good. If you didn't see it in the moment, Jesus did, God did. We don't have to figure life out. We can trust our life into God's hands. We can give Him all our problems, including our number one sin problem. Our number one problem, which is sin. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And I, I just love this song right here. And I, I pray every morning. And I promise it will change your life if you incorporate this into your prayers. And this is just your outlook on life. This is just your heart. Psalm 51, 16 through 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, for I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. It's there, it's written. He doesn't, he doesn't delight in sacrifices. When you bring him your resume, you bring him all the accomplishments you've done, and you bring him all the things that, you, that thing give you worth, he doesn't delight in that. He doesn't delight in outward appearance. He doesn't delight in outward action with a vain heart. The sacrifices that he's pleased with is a broken spirit. It's someone who gets on their knees in the morning and says, God, I have nothing without you this morning. A broken and contrite heart. A beggar's heart. That's why it says, receive the, the kingdom of God like a child. What can a child do but depend on their parent? We need to depend on God like a child depends on his parents. A child doesn't teach their parents. Every morning, guys, I encourage you, and just let this be the theme of your life, that we are weak and he is strong. Because the more you, you see your sin for what it is, and the more you see Jesus as the solution, the only solution, the more you'll grow in fellowship with Him and your love for Him will grow. Let us cling to the scandalous nature of God's grace to forgive us even when we don't deserve it. And let us cling to God's sanctifying power through the blood of Jesus Christ to take us into deeper and deeper fellowship with Him. For my own life, I can I can just attest to this. I just pretty recently, months ago, I've been starting to actually give God my life, actually give Him everything every morning, and it's completely changed my life. It's completely skyrocketed my growth with Christ. Every morning, I come to Him and I say, "God, today is Yours." God, I, I surrender my thoughts, intentions, my motives, and I give it into your hands. God, I want your will today. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And you'll be overjoyed. You'll be overjoyed when you give God all your life. Well, let's explain to the scandalous nature. Let's really understand why it's so scandalous that he died for a people that didn't deserve it. Us. Let's live all out for Jesus Christ. Let's not live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. 
Let's give Jesus everything, our whole heart, and all our life. And let's come to Jesus just as we are. Let's give him our raw, beating heart and trust him with the power to heal us, to change us. Jesus is the solution. Dwell on Jesus. Keep him in your heart. See your sin for what it is. And be undone by Jesus' love. And you'll only grow in fellowship with him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for this wonderful night. I just want to thank you for the opportunity to preach this word to these people. God, you, you shoved me into this, Lord, and you delivered me through it. I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for each and every person here, God. I pray that we reflect on who you are and what you've done for us. And I pray that we become more and more undone by your love. I pray that we give more and more of ourselves to you. I pray that you become Lord over our life fully. I pray that we give our hearts over to you fully. We just want to be all out for you, Jesus. And I pray that over the people. I thank you for tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.